0: Hello everyone and thank you for listening to the Truth That Heals podcast. I am your host Ryan Anthony Hernandez and today we have a special guest. We have the lead author of the book Processed Food Addiction, Dr. Joan Ifland. Doctor, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So it is a a pleasure to have you here on the show. Uh, I see that you have a book on processed food on addiction Uh, but before we even get into all the amazing work that you do I wanted to start I wanted to start by asking what was it that propelled you into this direction towards health and sugar and all these things
1: great Ryan thank you so much it's a good place to start I think you know what propelled me was um my parents' terrible behavior. So they were ragers and they were cold and they were distant and they were, you know, we had food, water, shelter, education, clothes, but we didn't have any nurturing. And I, um, you know, I did a lot of therapy about that when I got to be an adult and I had my own kids. But in January of 1996, I I just stumbled across a huge factor in uh, anger, depression, irritability, shame, in other words, uh, negative emotions. And it was sugar and flour. It was refined carbohydrates. So I was a yo-yo dieter after my two kids were born and I had regained the weight. I was in a program for a miserable personality is because i was raging and i didn't want to be and i thought surely there was some kind of answer so personal therapy and when a woman's healing group and then i started into the 12-step groups but a woman in my miserable personalities group uh said to me one day why don't you also try food addicts in recovery and what i heard was oh you know you're you need to lose weight because that's what people think of diet weight. That's so much more than that. So um by the I, I wasn't overweight at the time, but by the end of the year I was. So I went and got the book. I didn't read the book. I just turned to the food plan and it eliminated sugars and flowers. So uh, you know, really amazing things started happening. And right away, like day four. Uh, the cravings, the, the constant thinking about food went away. Like I didn't even know that was possible. And I didn't know that cravings are not normal. Cravings are indication that there's hyperactive reward centers in your brain that are making you crazy. Cravings are not supposed to be there. We're supposed to be hungry, you know, periodically through the day as we run out of fuel. But we are not supposed to have cravings in our brains. So that was my first indication that something was up. Uh, the cravings went away on day four, you know, like right away. And the brain fog lifted and the fatigue lifted. And then uh, that week, even though I was eating a lot of food, I'd lost two pounds. And the next week, I noticed that my allergies were much better. I a real allergies suffer, like watering eyes and sneezing all the time. And that a lifelong sinus infection had cleared up. But it was in the third week that I adopted this as a career, as a life mission. When I looked back, it was January 18th, 1996. And I looked back over those 18 days and I thought, huh, everybody in my family has been so good. I haven't had to yell at anybody. It's just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was about the food. I had started the support group. I did go there that Saturday. This is before the internet. And yes, people affirmed that getting off of sugars and flowers correlates with being less irritable. And boy, in that moment, I just said, I got to tell everybody on the planet. So um, here I am, 28 years later, we now have programs, we have the book, I have a PhD in, in addictive nutrition, and um We are out there with the help of people like you, Ryan. Thank you. We are out there uh, letting people know that processed foods affect every cell in the body, including brain cells. Mm -hmm. And we have this enormous surge in mental distress. But people in the U.S. are eating 73% of their food in processed foods. And it's crippling brain cell function. They cripple processed foods, cripple cell function in eight different ways. So the brain cells are either not firing, which can give things like um, result in things like attention deficit and learning difficulties and poor problem solving, poor decision making, poor impulse control, and memory loss. That, all that is is it's just frontal lobe cells that aren't firing. And they're not firing because the process food industry is hyperactivating the craving centers and the stress centers in the midbrain. And that's where
0: your blood flow is going.
1: Simple. It's a mechanical problem.
0: Well, I, I want to uh, pa- pause for a moment because there's uh, so much that you, you brought to the table in, in that statement. Uh, first about, I wanted to go back to that, that friend of yours who told you to look up the uh, food addiction. And immediately your thoughts was, oh, you, I should just lose weight. Um, I, I'm bringing that up because I, what I heard from from your journey, from when you started eliminating sugars and uh, not not just that, but um, processed wow. foods, flour. Yeah. It sounds like you mentioned uh, the lifting away of brain fog. Uh, no more ir- irritability and it's it's just amazing hearing that in just a few days uh everyone else was behaving <laughs> as, as you mentioned that uh, sure. but but you see the the transformation but then um, I, I'm also curious as to understand uh the business behind the sugar, the food industry because, I'm pretty sure that they know how addicting it is, or is oh it all, gosh. or are they innocent? Are oh, they innocent?
1: No. no, anybody who, so let's just start at the, at the beginning, at the very beginning, which is uh, the addiction business model. So way, way, way back in my background, uh, 45 years ago, I graduated from Stanford business school. I understand business models. I understand how corporations pursue profit. And there is a business model to create intense cravings for worthless, destructive products. And tobacco is the industry that really honed this model at the height of smoking. Now, just remember what cigarettes are. They're disgusting. They're repulsive. They're deadly. They create disease. Uh, and there is absolutely no reason you would ever pick up a cigarette. So how did the tobacco industry get two-thirds of American adults to smoke? They used the addiction business model. So what is that business model? It's, it's got five A's. First, you hide addictive substances in the product. You, you, the the model all the, the entire model depends on being able to flood the brain with craving chemicals dopamine serotonin opioids cannabinoids these are the body's own pleasure brain chemicals their own pleasure neurotransmitters they're there to make us feel good our creator put them there so that we could be happy and what the addiction business model does is it hyperactivates Those They're called reward centers or pleasure centers, and it turns them into craving centers. So if you can get one of those centers to pump out a big flood of neurotransmitters, those neurotransmitters control behavior. So it's like a competition between the reward centers and the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe, if it can push out enough neurotransmitter, it's gonna control that behavior center to do good things for yourself, to do rational things, to do healthy things for yourself. But if the food industry or the tobacco industry or the alcohol industry or the vaping industry or the cannabis industry, if they have taught the reward centers to put out floods of cravings for their products, then that center wins. It's a battle between these two centers. Frontal lobe versus uh, craving centers. So if the industries can uh, can dominate the brain with cravings, then you are buying these horrible products against your will. You might hear your frontal lobe. No, 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 we don't want to do that. But over here in the back, it's saying, oh, we love that and everybody. So we're going to do it too. So that a number one is you've got to hide the addictive substance in the product. For cigarettes, it's nicotine. For processed foods, it's sugar, fat, salt. For alcohol, you know, you sell these little low-alcohol drinks, but they've got extra alcohol hidden in them to make them addictive. Uh, number two is you've got to make it very available. So when they were taking out the cigarette vending machines, they were putting in the snack and soda machines. You've got to be able to reach the product in order to satisfy that that craving. So you see the country blanketed by fast food outlets. You see gas stations being turned into uh, sugar, flour, salt outlets. You know, they're all, they're drug den. I think of them as drug dens. Um, you just, you see the, these huge grocery stores. And in workplaces, you see the invasion of processed foods into break rooms. That I know yeah. when I was working in a corporation in the, early 1980s there, there was no food in the break room and now you go in and it's just piled everywhere so it's got to be available that's the second thing: you got uh hidden addictive substances in the product it's now available it's got to be affordable so this is the big thing that happened in the in 1980 is high fructose corn syrup came on the market and that finished the the fifth a affordable because the tobacco industry knew darn well that it could create sugar addiction Uh, tobacco bought uh, hawaiian punch in the 1960s and turned it into a kid's drink and started addicting children to sugar in 1963 so the tobacco industry already knew that this was possible but they they didn't want to be dependent on the sugar drug dealers in Florida, another cartel. Mm -hmm. But when high fructose corn syrup came on the market in 1980, boom, oh, cheap sweetener, we're on. Mm -hmm. And you then see Philip Morris and RJ Reynolds move and buy Kraft, Nabisco and General Foods in three years. So like why, all you have to do to understand the whole obesity, diabetes, a mental distress epidemic is you think, ah, oh, why would addiction merchants move into processed foods? Huh? Why would they do that? Because they saw an opportunity. Then it, it was created by um, the availability of a cheap sweetener. So now you've got the, you've got number three. You've got your hidden addictive substances. You've got your availability. Now you have affordability. And um, number four is lots and lots of advertising because you, you've you got to create this deceptive aura around the product. I mean, cigarettes are disgusting. They make you sick. They make you die. Nobody wants to be anywhere and you stink. You know, they're disgusting. So, so you have to create an aura around the product. And so you get Humphrey Bogart and Laurel, uh, Lauren Bacall to flirt and smoke and now sex is associated with with cigarettes cigarettes are disgusting but sex is great Mm -hmm. you have a suffragette smoking oh rebellion if I want to be like a man I got to smoke like a man and it's just you you create you have to create the delusion so you have to do that with a really big advertising budget now the tobacco industry was prevented at some point from advertising but oh my gosh when they moved into processed foods uh, they could advertise as much as they wanted, and they did. And then the fifth A is young age of onset. So with tobacco, you saw um, the Joe Cool Camel mm-hmm. cartoon campaign. So what age is are cartoons aimed at? Oh, 10-year-old boys. Let's, I want to be cool like Joe Cool Camel. I want to smoke. 10-year-old boys. So... The, the regulators stepped in on that one. They prevented the, the tobacco companies from doing that. But once they got sugar, uh, they could market that to newborns. They could put it in baby formula. They took, and this is in the internal documents. Uh, this is this is in uh, you know black and white printing. It's in documents The tobacco companies were required to put tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of documents on deposit at University of California, San Francisco. And those researchers are going through those documents and piecing together what happened. There is an explicit, chilling description of how these monstrous people took the Marlboro Country Store, which is an addiction process. You know, you give people three cigarettes. You teach those brains to the brain to crave, and so now they're buying cigarettes. So they notice there's a coupon uh, that they can send in for free stuff. So they buy more cigarettes to get the coupons. Now they send in the coupons, and what are they getting? They're getting triggers. Mm-hmm. They're getting advertisements that they can wear. You know, it's the lighter <laughs> in their pocket, and the belt buckle, and the jacket, and the shirt, and the hat, and the whole thing. They took that model and they adapted it. They translated it. They recreated it as the wacky warehouse for Kool-Aid. So sugar is highly addictive. Yes, it's yes. more addictive than other drugs. Um, how do they measure that? Because if the taste of sugar on the tongue will will release dopamine in half a second rats will choose addicted rats will choose sugar and saccharin over heroin and cocaine so it's it's highly addictive and there they are using this model um you know the kid buys one packet or mom buys it and um the kids are just uh craving it now so oh there are coupons on these oh look all that we can get all this Cool stuff, Kool-Aid logoed hats and belts and pants and shirts and uh, cassette players and watches. So now the kid is being triggered all the time into cravings. So young age of onset. It's just diabolical, Ryan. It's just Mm -hmm. diabolical. But that is the message to your listeners, your viewers is... This is something that, you know, the weight gain, the diabetes, the heart disease, the depression, all of that is something that was done to you by the same business model that gave people lung cancer. (laughs) So it's not lung cancer. This is 10 times worse because it cripples all cells eight ways. So just know this was not your fault. You 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 didn't cause the weight gain, and you didn't cause the the inability to lose weight, and you didn't cause the depression. Yes, childhood trauma can be a factor, but you've got these chemicals that are shutting down your feel good, wearing out your feel good uh, brain centers. So there's a there's a big hole. This whole big mechanical issue where chemicals are getting into your body that are wearing out your pleasure centers and shutting down your frontal lobe. Duh.
0: You, you mentioned earlier, like in the beginning, how you're going through a yo-yo style diet, weight loss journey. Uh, with, with this chemical imbalance or however you word it, would that be uh, the source or would that uh, contribute to that yo-yo diet? Because you're yes. a, a part of your, your brain is like, I want to lose weight. I want to eat healthy, but then you're battling. It's like this other side of your brain that wants that.
1: The craving brain. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so now it gets worse. You're right on track, Ryan. Now it gets worse because now you have the weight loss industry and the weight loss industry totally ignores this chemical reaction totally ignores what's uh, being hyperactivated in the brain, that you know that you've got these brain cells that are just very easily pumping out oceans of cravings that control behavior. Weight loss industry totally ignores that whole phenomenon in spite of the fact that it's documented in the research, very early on, as soon as brain imaging equipment came on the market in the late 1990s, an incredibly brilliant researcher, Nora Volkoff, who's the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse, she noticed it right away, that the brains of addicted people, drug and alcohol addicted people, had the same alterations as the brains of overeaters, the brains of people who are eating a lot of processed foods. Hyperactive reward, hyperactive stress, and and hypoactive, shut down from low. So by the late 1990s, we knew. We knew why people were gaining weight. And it was in the brain. It was cravings in the brain that were being hyper-stimulated by this addiction, processed food addiction business model. But did the weight loss industry pay any attention to that? Oh, no. No. Calories in, calories out. So all the medical community bought into this, uh, just eat less. Well, when you don't eat enough food for a long period of time, another part of the brain wakes up, and this is a dominant part of the brain, and it is the fear of famine brain. It is the part of the brain that is going to make sure that you don't die from famine. So uh, you know all throughout um, you know evolution, if you're an evolutionist, if you're a creationist, it's the same thing. This is an overlap. In creationism, there is also famines. So the whoever designed our brains built in this survival mechanism such that when there's a famine, the human ramps up their food seeking to survive so so th- this part of the brain i mean the brain doesn't understand dieting doesn't understand that there might be enough food but you're not eating it um it only understands oh we didn't get enough calories today and we didn't get enough calories today and we didn't get enough calories yesterday and we and we and it's no know that Now you have the craving brain hyperactivated, driving you crazy. And you have the fear of famine brain is now woken up. It's diabolical. Now you really feel crazy because you're thinking about food all the time. So that's what happened with dieting. Right in front of us the whole time there. Oh, yeah. So we do also have research showing that fasting and dieting precede eating disorders dieting and fasting precede binging well to me binging is just that fear of famine brain finally finding food and now it's eat it eat it all eat it as fast as you can eat it before somebody else gets it because there's a famine going on and eat it before a you know a predator looking for you human uh finds you so eat it really fast and then go and run and hide that's a survival behavior in response to fear of famine. But the way our in you know, a medical medical industry-dominated culture perceives that is oh, that's an eating disorder, binge eating disorder. And then that will lead to bulimia and anorexia. So this is over. I mean, most. Oh. Reasonable eating disorder weight loss people will no longer recommend restricting calories. So what we get results in, and we've got online programs um, around the world. We are around the world The spread around. The tobacco industry spread this around the world in 20 years. It's just incredible. First, address the cravings and learn how to avoid being triggered. You've got to be aware that you're being bombarded by these industries with craving triggers, associative uh, reminders, like the belt buckle. But this is just a bombardment. We're we're constantly in this haze of triggering messaging. So the first thing is to figure out where you're being triggered. Where are you being stressed? Because stress is a trigger for cravings. Cravings are actually a trigger for tra- a trigger for stress. Yes. Just tight little destructive dance going on back there. So we start in a very different place. We start at let's get those cravings calmed down, and um, and then you can start down the long list of craving foods. So you have uncraving foods, you know, regular unprocessed foods, and then you have processed craving foods. And just gradually, like you would stop smoking, you gradually stop using these foods. But you can't gradually stop using those foods until you've addressed the addiction business model. And you've addressed okay, it's not available in my home, it's not available in my car. It's, um, you know, I'm not letting my brain be exposed to advertising or reminders or stress programming all those scary shows they're just there to activate cravings um you're you're looking at all the sources of loss of control and uh, what we have learned over the years is you can only do that in a community Uh, if you're around people who are doing that your brain's natural urge to fit in uh, Mm -hmm. will just nicely and easily lead you to doing that but if you're around eat, people who are eating processed foods, your brain will lead you to eat processed foods.
0: It's amazing how powerful the brain is. I mean, it's well, as a non-expert, I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself to be a student. I'm that's why I'm doing the podcast to learn from different guests like you. Um, you know, my my first thoughts, you know, before this conversation was that. Uh, it is just uh, a habit to just grab the uh, processed food the chips uh, the cheese you know adding the cheese having the nachos it's just a bad habit and I can switch it off whenever I want and make a new habit but as we plunge deeper into this topic you see how it's not just a habit but there is a brain, uh, War I guess it's like like a warfare that's going on and we have this bombardment from advertisers who know what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, uh I'm I would like to know because especially here in America, a lot of people have been living off of this processed food diet for decades now um how has that affected uh like this, this uh, current generation, uh, th- those who started off like in the 80s, how has it affected them now that they're probably in their 60s and 70s, compared to before when people were eating off of the the farms and eating healthier uh, food?
1: Yeah. Well, they're they're sicker and they're dying younger. That age group, the 60 and older, are sicker, and they're dying younger. And they're, they're just, now you have another industry, you have the medical industry, you know, the medical industry should be in there fighting, 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 tooth and nail against the processed food industry, but they're not. Because the medical industry is actually a pharmaceutical surgery, talk therapy industry. And so they're profiting from this just hand over fist. So they, um, they, they, they're part of the reason why this 1.6 million Americans will die from this every year. And they, um, that's four times more than the worst year of COVID in the U.S. Like a million people died of COVID over the entire four years. So 1.6 million people will die every year. And why isn't the medical industry screaming about this? Why isn't the government screaming about this? Why, aren't, why isn't media screaming about this the way they screamed about COVID for all those years? That's because they're all making money off of it. They all, I could say fairly, they're all existing on it. So when you see the growth of processed foods in the United States, The growth of the medical industry is right there with it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, this has spawned uh, quite a few different industries. Anyway, so, yeah, they are sicker. But there's another population that is really, I mean, it's almost terrifying to look at these numbers. And it's young people. So it's people in their their 20s and and late teens. And these are the people who never had a chance. Like, they were born in the mid 1980s. And they've only had processed food, they've had these pumped up, you know, these. um, So for example, you could eat a slice of bread in 19, uh, say 1970, and go on about your day. But by 1999, that slice of bread was so loaded up with sugar, fat, salt that you would eat that one. It would activate your craving pathways and then you could eat the rest of the loaf. Mm-hmm. So the, the people who were born in those years, their parents innocently bought them bread, but it was a very, very different product. And so they've been uh, exposed to the, these hyper craving products. Uh, for their whole lives, and they uh, the rates of mental distress, so depression, suicide ideation, anxiety uh, in that population is just astronomical. It's gone up by twenty four percent, by forty nine percent, by sixty eight percent, and that that's just heartbreaking. I mean, because those people don't have a life. They don't. I mean, but being a human is great. You just you have lots of fun things to do. And there's all these creative th- ways to be engaged with life. And it's so rewarding and it's fulfilling. There are lots of people you can help and you can connect and just be like really happy all the time. If you don't have stress messaging and processed foods weighing down your brain. So uh, a lot of these people will spend their entire lives without knowing the joy of being a human.
0: Mm-hmm. It's um, unfortunate how we see, uh, well, for the older generation, we see, um. you know, of course, diabetes, obesity, uh, heart conditions. Um, could this even be, because we're, we're also discussing the connection of the brain with this addiction with sugar and Processed foods as a person ages and they've been living off of uh, all of this uh, tox- toxicity, uh, does it also affect the brain, like with uh, dementia, or is there a connection there?
1: Totally, totally, totally. Dementia, you think about dementia, dementia is a failure of the frontal lobe. Well, if you deprive the frontal lobe of blood supply because it's going back into the cravings and stress. And then that part of the brain just stops working. But here's the cool thing that most yes. people don't know, which is if you can peel off the processed foods in the stress, the frontal lobe will start working again. And people say that to me in our programs all the time. Uh, they're just like shocked. They're like, I remember things now. No, our programs are not just about getting off of processed foods, they're also about uh, eliminating stress, stress thinking, you know, our brains are now being have been taught to think in stressful terms, and then how to protect how to avoid um, the negative messaging in our culture. So between those two things, you've got to you've got to lift off the stress, as well as the, the processed foods. Uh, the frontal lobe starts working again. And the other cool thing is about decision-making, which is somebody will say to me, um, you know, I knew what to do. I knew what to do in that situation. Well, that's their decision-making brain cells, getting blood flow. <clears throat> so brain, brain cells will repair. They might be crippled by processed foods, but you, if you take away that burden... Uh, off the cell, it'll start to work again. And so people will say things also like, um, I can read again. Well, reading is uh, is a learning function uh, as well as a memory function. So people will say, you know, when I came in here and they're talking about one of our programs, I couldn't read anymore because I couldn't remember at the end of the sentence, what I had read at the beginning of the sentence. But now I can. And I loved reading and I'm reading again. So that's learning. And attention span. Attention span is controlled by very specific cells in the frontal lobe. And you see these epidemics of ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, that's, and then it comes back. Like I noticed, uh, or moms, moms will say to me, you know, I can sit down with my child now and pay attention to what they're doing. It used to be I just was thinking of, of any other thing, but what was going on. But now I can connect to my children. So uh, this is the cool part of this whole discussion. Yes. And I hope everybody gets this deeply, which is when you take off the stress and you take off the processed foods because you have put yourself in a protective community, 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 community. And your brain now wants to fit in with people who are eating clean and thinking calmly and taking care of themselves and going to bed on time. In that kind of a community, it's easy to do those self-care things. But if you're in a community where people are staying up too late and they're not getting enough sleep and they're fighting all the time and they're eating processed foods and they're on lots of medications, your brain will, will drag you over in that direction so that you fit in, so you have a place to belong. Your brain's very protective; it wants you to belong somewhere and be secure, and it will it will get you to belong to whatever the people are doing around you. So that that's the whole philosophy. That's it's not philosophy; it's a science. Yes. Yeah. Of why we have created these online communities. We broadcast like a TV station uh, over Zoom okay. live with trained hosts 15 to 17 hours a day. So people can just play this. It's clean programming. It's it's healing messaging. It's people who are eating clean and reporting the benefits from it. You just play it in the background while you're going on a lot about your life. You don't have to participate. You can uh um, put your hand up on the Zoom screen and say, stop, don't call on me. Mm -hmm. And you can just surround yourself with this very protective, comforting messaging. And then your brain will just like, oh, we belong over here. We need to fit in over here. Oh, what do these people do? Oh, they don't eat clean. Well, then are they eat clean? Okay, then we want to eat clean too. Oh, they go to bed on time. They get sleep every night. Okay, well, we want to go to bed on time and sleep. You know, it's just, oh, they get movement. Oh, they go walking. Okay, well, then we'll go walking too. You're harnessing the dominant force in the brain to find a place to belong. And it works. Just works. And it's easy. And it's it's not expensive.
0: And I like how you mentioned that it's a, a science. How, you know, our brains do crave to fit in but you know once we're in that community depending on the community because there are some people who are as you mentioned you surround yourself with those who don't sleep on time who eat processed foods all the time and then you know you you automatic almost like automatically you go in that direction you follow that same path um but now I want to focus on the healing because we've talked so much about, and we're we're already we already are discussing that that healing journey. Uh, but uh, what I want to get to is, you know, we've spoken about the older generation how they're all sick. We've spoken about the younger generation how they're. <coughs> Excuse me they're on their way to getting sick and maybe one day they'll be addicted to, uh, you know, medications. Uh, But what can people do to uh, sever that link with their addictions? And uh, do you have any resources uh, that you can share?
1: Yes. Thank you, Ryan. So I have been in this now for 28 years. And because let me just hold up the textbook. Uh, people tell me
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because I wrote, edited the textbook Processed Food Addiction Recovery uh, Foundations Assessment Recovery uh, that I'm the world's leading expert. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll do that. Um, yeah, but we have they're very, very specific things to do. Let me let me do the resources and then. If somebody is just like, mm, no, I'm not doing that, I can give you some places to start uh, on your own. I don't recommend doing this on your own because uh, 93% of Americans have a diagnosis of some kind. Uh, 84% of Americans are overweight or obese or severely obese. Americans are eating 73% of their food in processed foods. So the likelihood. That you can find a place to belong. Your brain's going to just drag you. We need to belong somewhere. I want you to belong. I want you to have that security of belonging somewhere. The idea that you would be able to find a group of people, and you need at least five, that are doing these superb self-care things, I don't think that's possible anymore. Maybe 20 years ago it was, but not now. So we've created that online so let me tell you the the resources that we have we have a a basic daily program it's called the arc and um that's where you get the 15 to 17 hours a day of zoom and it's science-based it's very friendly it's soaked in compassion and respect and patience and understanding and a lot of information about what happened to you Uh, why nothing else has worked and why this does work. So when people know the why, when they know how their brain is going to be affected by something like, you know, not watching scary TV anymore. (laughs) If you want to crave, just watch scary TV. And it just gets worse and worse every year that the TV programs get scarier and scarier. Okay. So you learn why when you watch scary TV, you have panic attacks and why (laughs) and why you binge after watching uh, scary. You learn the why. So that is our that's like our TV station. It's like a TV station. And then we send out a a daily email. So now your email reminds you of being strong and um, confident and skilled. We teach 152 skills. Uh, It takes a lot of skill to live very, very differently from the rest of the culture. Um, We send out a daily podcast. It's a recording of our daily conference call. These are all conversations, and humans learn from conversations. They learn from stories. That's what they really retain. So even in this frontal lobe, which is not gotten blood supply maybe for a while the people can still retain stories and then their natural inclination is to follow a story follow a model follow an example and that's how humans change behavior that's how we and and that's what's that's the easiest thing to do and when you get the hang of how easy it is to do these things then it becomes really fun And you're regaining your sanity and you feel secure because the things you're doing are working. And then you notice that you're saving lots of money. You're not spending money on these processed foods and you have enough energy maybe to go and get a little part-time job. And you're not spending money on over-the-counter pain medications because you're healthier. So it just snowballs into financial security. And it doesn't take any time because you're going about your day. You're doing what you'd be doing anyway. You're just playing this in the background. Okay, so you get that, you get, uh, we assign an advocate to you, a trained advocate, and you have a small private messenger group where you can talk anytime. And then we have a a Facebook group so you can go in there and talk anytime. And there are people uh, away, in our community around the clock because when we started advertising this six years ago people signed up from around the world oh, so wow. we have uh, host hosting teams in australia and china and africa and europe and all across uh, the americas so you might wake up during the middle of the night you might be panicking you might be thinking about binging but you open up your zoom screen and if you're in the U.S., there are the Australians <laughs> and then the South Africans and then the, the the Brits. and It's around comfort. It's around protection from a predatory culture. So that's our basic daily program. Ryan, we charge $59 a month for that. You get all of that for $59 a month. We do recommend looking at two advanced programs. We have... Um, The uh, Empowerment Fast Track, it's a worksheet, and you actually get very specific skills from that faster than if you're just um, hanging out in the ARC. And we have um, advocate training. So health professionals are just so frustrated, and they're burning out because they're not effective because they don't have the cravings recovery training. So we have training for professionals, and we have training for just you know, ordinary people who want to help the next person. So that's our advocate training. And this I'm so excited about, Ryan. This is a piece that we haven't talked about at all, which is the the medical industry has positioned itself as we are it. And if we can't fix it, it's incurable. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just another business model. That's just suppressed competition. It, they, I, I saw this incredible statement. This book was called Healthy No Matter What, written by a World Health Organization doctor. And he said the medical industry has about 10% of the healing options. They've got pharmaceuticals, they've got surgery, they've got testing, they've got talk therapy, they've got physical therapy. It's about 10% of what's available out there. But when the pharmaceutical industry started, they looked at the other 90%. And they said, oh, we have to suppress that because that's competition for pharmaceuticals. So we have a whole new community this year called the Remission Community, uh, remissionoptimistic.com, where we're, we're incorporating the other 90%. It's breath work. It's visualization. It's meditation. It's tapping. It's um, hot-cold therapy. It's sound healing. All of those things work. Mm -hmm. But uh, because we live in the medical industry culture we live in, uh, people don't turn towards them, and it's not normal. So when you're in a small group, it's a smaller group, um, and everybody is doing this and getting results from all these other. There are dozens of them. Um, Then they use them, and they can make incurable diseases chronic conditions you know your doctor says oh you have to live with this pain or uh, this is not going away or you have to take this medication for the rest of your life we're observing that that is not true you add in you have the arc your daily healthy living and you add in the practice of these other modalities and a, a lot of quote unquote incurable chronic diseases fade away I'm putting I'm 72 years old and I have lifelong asthma and I'm putting it into remission
0: right now. And I I I loved how you mentioned uh daily healthy living, the lifestyle, having a healthy lifestyle, having a healthy community, uh you know, the breathing, the meditation and of course eating healthy. And uh, I bring that up because I have known people throughout my lifetime, who I'll, I'll give you an example. And maybe the audience, they might know somebody like this. I knew somebody who was uh, telling me, Oh my gosh, Ryan, I need, I need medicine, medicine. I think I have diarrhea. Okay. And then 30 minutes later it was, you know, I think I need medication for constipation. And so, uh-huh. and so I'm, I'm bringing that up because I, You know, I don't want to, you know, blame doctors, you know, all of them. I mean, but I think that there are some who really see the profit from not opening the minds of, you know, the patients to have a healthier lifestyle. Because of course, if there is a medical condition, you know, you give them the medicine. And then sometimes with the medicine, there's going to be a side effect. What do you do with the side effect? Here's the next, here's the next pill. Here's the next one. And then the next thing you know, uh, I'm I'm seeing people around me who have you know they're taking ten or more you know cocktails of different medications. Yeah, yeah. And, and Brian, I would just say I, I just say love thing, yes. that
1: they're trained that way. Of course. So they're not making decisions on their own. They're trained. They they've got a license clamped down on top of them. My own daughter is an MD. Oh, I saw this happen to her. And so these are good people who've gotten training and they've gotten good training. They've just had the, um, you know, they've been a little gaslighted about uh, the position, you know, the the context, the the proper place for their training. They're pro- it's, it's proper. Like I was in the ER over the weekend getting an x-ray because I got a pain in my side. I, I use Western medicine. But it's got to be in its proper context. It's good for this, 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 and this, and for everything else, lifestyle and chronic disease. You got to go and do all these other modalities and live in a healthy community. And they don't have that piece. But these are good people. Doctors yeah, are good they're, people.
0: They're necessary. They save lives. It's Absolutely. just, it, it's just that you know you can see when, uh, you know, like the example that I gave you. Where, mm-hmm. you know, those mm-hmm. who aren't experts, uh, they think that everything needs uh, a Band-Aid, a, a medication for everything. Medic- that's all they've got. That's what they're trained in. Where, yeah. you know, the, the lifestyle change and, you know, the healing journey, uh, as, as you said, er, in the very beginning, how just those eight first 18 days, you already experienced that removal of brain fog, that uh, lesser irritability and uh, now that we start uh wrapping things up cuz this has been a great um this has been a great podcast uh but now for the audience uh do you have a website where they can find yes. you and uh, step
1: one step one step one go to uh food addiction reset and take the self quiz it's the 11 signs of um I don't like calling it an addiction. It's really a cravings disorder. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can find out if like, you've got all these diagnoses, all these years, but maybe you just have intense cravings. Maybe you're a victim of the uh, processed food industry. I mean, the, these are neurologists. These are scientists who have done this to you. It's not your
0: fault. So you hear that audience go check out, uh, food addiction uh reset and also go check out the book uh processed food addiction uh buy a copy for yourself and if you know somebody who might want to get it and they can't afford it uh, maybe do an act of charity and help them out uh, because i think yeah. it's it's so great uh for people to be educated and as you said earlier you know western medication you know it has its place it has
1: it's, uh, it's essential it, but it, it, it but it's, it's good to center. have
0: it's good to have uh, a whole, you know, vision to to go towards healing. Not, not. I mean, the medicine is great. Go not for I it. Haven't. But you got to help yourself too. And you know, for me, you know, having you as a guest on the show has also been uh, very uh, brain. It's really, you know, it's opened up my brain, opened up my mind uh, to the reality of. Cravings, and I'm so happy that you've been on the show. Thanks Um, for
1: having me, Ryan. I appreciate you.
0: So, also go
1: to Remission Optimistic if you have multiple diagnoses, and get these other modalities into your life at Remission Optimistic. And there's another quiz there.
0: Okay, and I'll add add that to the show notes so that the uh, listeners can follow and they can check out your work. And again, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Take care.